Welcome to Blooming, a podcast by 20-somethings for 20-somethings, navigating how to grow up. I'm Tessa. And I'm Britt. And we'll be your co-hosts. Happy Wednesday, buds. Alongside our adulting wins and adulting fails and adulting 101 resources this week, we are chatting to Lucy Kelly on her relocation to London and everything that comes with adapting to such a big life move. But firstly, Tessa, how was your week? Yes, another Wednesday and another episode of Blooming. My week has been good. I want to start this off with like a bit of a random topic. So this influencer (laughs) I follow, she um, has like a question box on her stories running today about like what's a word you thought meant something else, right? So like some people thought several meant seven. So like pack several jumpers and they thought like pack seven jumpers like some people thought like a nurse was reading b&b and thought that was like bed and breakfast but it's like bowel and bladder (laughs) um and like intensive purpose instead of intense and purpose oh yeah so I wanted to bring my own one (laughs) to the table (laughs) so you know on lifts there's um those signs that say in case of fire, like don't use the lift in case of fire. So when I was a kid, I used to stress out so much because I was like, we can't use a lift, like in case there is a fire. Like what if a fire happens when we're in the lift and we get stuck? So I just thought you couldn't use lifts ever because in case of fire, where it actually means like if there's a fire, don't use the lift, not just in case there's a fire, don't use the lift. What, so you haven't been using lifts if it had a sign? I did, but I was like so stressed about it and thought I was breaking a rule. Like runs in and then runs back out. Do you have anything like that? Mm. I feel like that can be your homework. Think about it and bring me something next week. I feel like we should put it on our stories too, right? Let us know what you all think, little buds. Or even just like a thing that you thought was the truth but isn't. Like there would be so many out there, right? Uh But also... We're already in March, like WTF. I know. How did that happen? I know. I feel like last March was like the longest time in the entire world. So we'll see how long this March (laughs) goes for. Um, But yes, my week. So JJ and I met with a home loan specialist. How adult of us. I know. Very exciting, but also very terrifying. Um, I was actually so glad that we'd done our interview on your experience because he was like throwing around all these words and he'd like look to us and be like, do you know what that means? And I was like, Yes, I do. And he's like, what does that mean? And I'd like to tell him. And he was like so impressed. It's like, you know, when you were like called on at school or at uni and you had the right you answer. actually knew the answer. Yeah, it like was like a good little boost to my confidence. Like a I was rare like, occasion for me. I have impressed you. You're welcome. I've nailed this. So thank you. Thank oh, you for I'm, that. Ep. I'm glad. But yes, how about yours? This week was good. I had two family members' birthdays this week and so lots of wholesome family time, which was nice. Um, My dad wanted to do putt-putt with my brother and I, so I'm sure you can guess how good I was at that. How are your skills? (laughs) I came last. (laughs) (laughs) But in more important news, guys, it's happened to us. Another brand, i.e. Combank, (laughs) has found our blooming music and used it on one of their ads. I mean, it was bound to happen because it's such a catchy tune. Well, we can tell anyway. <laughs> the best. <laughs> but I was like lying there on nine now, catch up watching the MAPS Grand Reunion. Um, also, don't judge me for watching real trashy TV. We've all been there. Um, and it came on on the ad. So how dare they, lol. Okay. So when Britt messaged me about this, she literally gave me zero context, <laughs> just said, oh, 
oh my God, it's happened to us. And like, I was like, okay, like maybe something really exciting, like someone really famous, like shared <laughs> us on their stories. We've I'm like viral. looking at Instagram. I'm like, where is this amazing news? And then she's like, oh my God, I didn't record. And I was then like stressing hard, like <laughs> adrenaline pumping. I'm trying to think, oh my gosh, when did we record an episode that's not recorded? Like I think, I don't think we've recorded anything yet. And so I was like trying to figure out what the hell was going on and that, oh my gosh, something's not worked. But yeah, no, it was just Combank had stolen our song, <laughs> giving me a mini heart attack for no reason. It probably didn't help that my like breaks between text messages were like a little bit extended, but that's because um, I was still watching Mass. So I was like <laughs> texting you, but then would get distracted by Mass. And like, oh gosh. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Apology accepted. <laughs> um, should we jump into the app? Let's do it. So now, as always, it's time for our adulting wins and adulting fails from the week. Britt, what do you have, a win or a fail? So on Sunday, Locke and I decided that we should probably tackle the yard work we'd been neglecting as homeowners. You really need to do that. I feel like I'm just not going to have a yard, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's one solution. So I think I've mentioned before, but our house is quite old and the size of the block is a funny shape. In the back corner of our yard, there's this sectioned off part by an old gate where what we think used to be an outhouse or like maybe a chicken coop. Oh, random. Yeah. I hadn't touched it since we moved in and it had become so overgrown with weeds and God knows Toads. Yeah, probably. Um, So we just bit the bullet and hacked into it, pulled out all the weeds and got rid of all the random crap we found within the weeds. Um, In there, I actually discovered a disassembled compost bin in like near perfect conditions. So How good. I also put that together and have started composting my food scraps. So I'm hoping that the composting will make really nutritious soil um, that I can then use to plant things and make other parts of the yard look nicer. So stay tuned for that. You could um, do like a little veggie patch or something. Yeah, that's what I thought. How good would that be? So cute. You could grow potatoes. <laughs> PTSD. Britt did try and grow potatoes. <laughs> Not purposely. I was trying to to grow like a flower or something it's a lily I think yeah and I read that you could put it in a potato with honey and like plant it in the ground and then it would grow that plant nope I got potatoes (laughs) (laughs) but anyway yes big adulting win for me tackling some home chores and also taking a personal step towards reducing my own landfill but what about you Tessa what do you have I am back in fell territory (laughs) this week and not only any fail it's a cooking fail again again so this week I made some eggs for breakfast and was just like enjoying them at my desk while I was still working and then like 30 minutes away like I sometimes just like eat and then I'll put my plate on the side if I'm like really into some work yeah and like yeah I'll notice that it's there and I'll go take it to the kitchen and I don't even need to explain I'm pretty sure like my dishes stay on my desk (laughs) the whole day but I just want to like give some context as to how long this was happening for right so it was like quite a while that I was still sitting at my desk and before I went back to the kitchen and then I could smell something like burning and I looked like in the kitchen and there was smoke everywhere and I was like what's mum burning like automatically (laughs) jumped to mum's burning something this is mum's fault and then 
like, I shouldn't have immediately blamed mum, even though that is usually what happens in our house. It was me. I'd left the gas stove on, like the flame on, and the pan on the stove and the spatula in the stove, on the, oh, in the pan. Gosh. So, like, what was oh, in gosh. the <laughs> So, what was in the pan was burning. The spatula was burning. And, like, I'm surprised it didn't cause, like, a mini fire. But, yeah, so that's what I mean. Like, there was a decent amount of time that I left this, like, gas stove just going. Whoa, you could have totally burnt down your house. I could have, but anyway, it just ended up with a very charred pan and spatula. Is that in the bin now or was it salvageable? Um, Surely not the spatula. I'm not sure. If <laughs> I I think that maybe mum cleaned it up. I feel like that's a double fail. You didn't, oh, even, no. <laughs> you didn't even clean up your mess. <laughs> Can I use the um, excuse that it was in the middle of my work day and I was too busy working? your face tells me no No. (laughs) this week we are talking to lucy kelly event manager extraordinaire and one of the most organized and bravest people i have the pleasure of having in my life lucy is no rookie when it comes to uprooting your life to another country and is currently on round two living her very best life in london in this chat, we discuss the ins and outs of Lucy's journey in relocating her life to the other side of the world, what it was like leaving her support network behind, and how she started from scratch in a brand new place. So, Lucy and I met way back at the end of grade eight in literally the middle of nowhere. Like, I'm not even kidding, the middle of nowhere. So, both our families had properties in rural Queensland and we were out exploring nature when we stumbled across each other. So, our parents got to talking and we, like being awkward teenagers, just stood shyly away from each other while they chatted. Fast forward a few months later and we were connected again by mutual friends and the rest is history. We can't wait for you to hear this chat. But first, Lucy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Lucy is joining us all the way from London, which means she's gotten up at like the crack of dawn for her. (laughs) And so this is like our first time doing an interview virtually. So bear with us with the audio. Okay, Lucy, we're going to start off this chat with uh, the question that we ask all of our in bloom guests, and that is, what is an adulting win or adulting fail you've had this week? <laughs> right. So every week when I listen to your podcast, I get stumbled on this one, and I'm always like, I don't have one, and I really had to think about it. Because you're just too um, great at but- adulting, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm good at everything. No, I'm not. Um <laughs> So I was thinking about it last night and I thought a good one that I could share an adulting win, which I think Britt would really be really proud of, is um, obviously as you get older, you need to build your credit rating. So last year I got a credit card. Um, I didn't want to get one because I'm so crazy about saving and that kind of thing and not wanting to borrow anyone's money. But turns out to get a home loan and all the rest of it, you need a credit rating. Um, So I got a credit card and this week is my one year of having a credit card and my credit rating has officially um, gone through the roof, which is great. And my credit limit has been increased. Um, So I'd like to say that's my adulting win. Yay, I do love that. I'm very proud. Okay, so we're going to split this chat into, I guess, like two parts by firstly talking about the decision to move and all the prep work involved and then what it was like to settle into your new home and everything that comes with that. So I think I like have an interesting perspective on this chat because I actually lived with Lucy in London when I was working over there. And so 
I know if you're looking to make a big move, you'll relate to this chat because she helped me a lot in my move. So let's start with deciding and preparing to move. Had it always been a dream to live and work overseas? We know you did a shorter working holiday in Canada, but this was like a full move rather than a working holiday. Yeah. So, I mean, it hadn't always been a dream to kind of move to London as such. I mean, it kind of, I thought about it because a lot of my cousins had done it um, because we've got family over here, kind of distant family, not like my aunt or anything like that. Um, so no, it hadn't really been like a dream long term or anything like that, but it kind of hit me, um, at one point, I remember being in Bali and being like, what am I going to do with my life? Um, the question we all ask ourselves. (laughs) Well, weirdly, I was like kind of meditating in this like villa in Bali and it was just after New Year's and it was quite a nice like setting. And I kind of thought what, yeah, what do I want to do? How can I make my life better? Um, how can I progress my life, my career and everything? And I just kind of made the decision that London was the best place to go. And yeah, I kind of started slowly making decisions from there to make it happen. So you kind of touched on this. Um, was the reason you chose the UK because of family or was there anything else that made you choose the UK? Well, I, I hate the heat. And I love the cold. So that was that was one big thing. Um, I can't stand the heat. I remember one evening, it was we just got back from Bali and it was like the end of January. And I was sitting on my back deck in Varden and it was like 34 degrees at nine o'clock at night. And I was sitting on the deck and I was sweating and I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. I need the cold. I need the snow. And so that was a big key moment. I remember going inside and quite literally booking a flight that night. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, it was basically because my grandparents were born in the UK before 1922, I think it is, in England. So I can get an ancestry visa, um, which is a bit more expensive, um, but it's five years. And, um, yeah, I'd recommend that to anyone that can do it. So, yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer in that sense. Uh, Here's a question for you. Were you sweating balls in the 34-degree heat because you'd just come back from Bali and had Bali belly? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that too yeah no I no the week the week before that I was in hospital with barley belly but oh. it was it was a bit after that <laughs> I'm glad you remember that <laughs> I do just embarrassing I guess <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> okay so was it hard leaving your family friends and support network behind to start a new life I mean you would have had a few family members over there so that might have helped um yes and no I mean always yes like it's just devastating saying goodbye but it was I I knew it was the right thing to do I've always been super independent so um you know I always knew that it was going to be okay and you know it's only 24 hour flight so if anything really really bad happened I knew that I could always kind of luckily depend on mum and dad or I always I did have savings at the time um to get over there so I knew if I needed to come home urgently I could um so yeah you kind of weigh up those things and you just need to push through the the scariness of it and just kind of kind of make it happen but um but yeah I did have family over here they were very distant family and can I just disclose that I'd never been to Europe before I moved like I'd never been to like Italy or Greece or London or anywhere so it was a bit scary in that sense um but yeah I kind of just like like in the lead up reached out to a whole bunch of random family that we were kind of connected to that my great uncle speaks to and my uncle will speak to and that kind of thing 
Um, and I just touched base with them and emailed them all and kept like, you know, just kept speaking with them. And, um, so I knew that I had them, you know, there if I needed them, but I didn't use them as kind of like a home base or anything like that. Cause I'd never met any of them before. Yeah. <laughs> but you had some friends there as well, which would have made it easier. Yeah. I had, I knew three friends when I moved over. So one, um, a friend, Charlotte, who I went to school with, who I was quite close with, she'd been there for about a year and a bit. Um, and a good friend, Ellie, and then a really good friend, Trev and, um, yeah, you just have to lean on those connections um, respectfully because obviously they're doing their own thing. But, um, yeah, you kind of have to really lean on those relationships um, and, yeah, use them as much as you can to make yourself um, a new life. <laughs> so you touched on savings a little bit before. So how much did you plan to have saved before you left as like your buffer to be honest, I didn't. Re- I didn't really know. So, as I said before, I was in. It was January when I decided to go, and I flew out at the start of May. So it wasn't a huge amount of time, and I wasn't saving a whole bunch before I decided to go. So I really had to knuckle down and just <laughs> sell everything I had and basically use any avenue I had to make up as much extra cash as I could essentially there's there's different parts to kind of what you need to pay for before you go or when, when you're applying for the visa and I'm, we'll get to the visa but um you obviously need to have you need to pay for the visa itself and depending on which visa it is depends on how much it costs um you need to pay for the the healthcare surcharge um which is a big quite a lump sum fee also then obviously you've got to pay for your flights um and then you've got to have savings on top of that so i think I think in terms of just savings in my pocket after I'd pay for, paid for my visa and my flights and everything, I think I had about five and a half thousand Australian dollars, um, which isn't actually a huge amount. Um, and obviously when you convert that, that's a lot less. Mm. And living in London, it's very expensive. Okay. So you mentioned that you got an ancestry visa. Do you, can you tell us a bit about the process of applying for a visa and was it hard? Um, so when, when I did decide that I wanted to go, I, again, had lots of conversations with people and that's kind of really key as well. Although if you listen to this, hopefully you can get all the answers that you need <laughs> to move. Um, but you can, you can do different things. So you can either, you know, go and do all your applications on your own, which is fine and which is what I did. Um, but you can also look for companies that will do it for you. So I think it's about like 500 Australian dollars and you can basically go to a company and say, I want this kind of visa and they'll do all the, you know, they'll ask you what paperwork and they'll do the applications for you and it can be sorted in that sense. So to start off, you could do it on your own or you can get outside help. I probably wouldn't recommend getting outside help only if you're really concerned about it. Um, but in terms of the visas that you can get, that there's obviously quite a few, um, but the, there's two main ones, one being the youth mobility visa, which Tessa, I think you were on that one. No, I had Ancestry. Um, Oh, did you have Ancestry as well? Yeah, I still got it. I could still come over if I wanted to. <laughs> you, you could pop on over. That's good. Um, but anyway, there's two visas that you can get, which is the mobility visa, which is basically your stock standard two-year one. And most people that come over for that two-year stint do that one. Um, and then there's the Ancestry visa, which is the one that Tessa and I um, am currently on, um, which is great. And it also means with the Ancestry that um, I can either reapply for the visa at the end of five years um, and get another five years, or I can apply to remain and become a citizen, which is kind of what I'm planning at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, 
there's lots of different costs that go into each of them, which is all very fun. (laughs) (laughs) And lots of paperwork, lots of paperwork. Lots of paperwork. Oh my gosh. So there's like, so basically you apply online to whichever visa you want to go in and then they essentially set you an appointment with a, with a firm in Brisbane somewhere or Sydney or Melbourne or wherever you are. Um, and you go into this appointment and it's kind of like an interview and you have to have everything ready to go. You need to have your original passport. Um, I think you need your parents, like not their passports, but like copies of their birth certificates, their marriage certificates, your grant, like for ancestry, I needed my grandparents' original birth certificates, marriage certificates. And I mean, my granddad was born in 1918. So like, super old documents so I'm like calling family being like do you have this do you have this um and so like getting all that and then like you know you know taking all these really old documents you've just got to be really careful um and then also you've got to have a lot of evidence that you're planning to work there so if you've got a job that can help so I think Tessa you could probably talk on that you had a you had something lined up before you went um so like you know you can provide that kind of documentation and say, I've been offered this job and they'll be like, great. So we're we're pretty certain that you will be able to support yourself in that way. Mm. Um, But for me, I didn't have a job. So I just had my resume and I had copies of the emails that I'd sent to recruiters and to firms. Um, But yeah, you've just basically got to sit in this interview, sell yourself to them in in a sense. um, And then they take more photos and then fingerprints. um, And then you kind of wait for your application to come back. How long did the application take? Do you remember? Um, like, as in, like, to get the answer back, yeah. like, if, you, if you've got it. Um, I think, like, three weeks, two oh, weeks. Yeah, okay, so depending good. on, like, how busy, like, the office is, the yeah. foreign office, or I don't know what office it's actually called. But um, well, I remember, really empty like, right now is what it is. <laughs> yeah. No one's moving. Actually, I just still know people that are moving. Anyway, <laughs> the other thing is you need to, you can only apply three months before you're planning to go. So you, it's, it can be a bit stressful because mm. you have to apply within the three months of your flight. But then also you've got to wait for it to come back as approved. So like, yeah, yeah. it can be, you've got to kind of balance things in, in a sense. Yeah, my visa timing. came back as approved literally less than a week before I was supposed to fly out and so you're like you don't know if you're going or not and you've got this expensive flight booked and you're just like waiting and you're like do I pack up my whole life or like what do I do here um but yeah that leads really well into my next question that we wanted to ask so you went over there without a job lined up because from my memory you really struggled to nail down work when you weren't like in the country yet and people couldn't meet you and interview you face to face Um, So that must have been like really scary. How did you go about organizing, getting a job once you arrived? Yeah. So, I mean, people that have a job lined up before they go, I just take my hat off to you. I'm like, wow, (laughs) I don't know how you've managed to wangle that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, if you can get a job before you go, I mean, obviously I reached out to so many people before I left. Um, And yeah, Tessa, as you said, it was just the response was, well, you're not in the country yet. Let's set up an interview once you get back. Um, annoyingly well not annoyingly I'm the most weirdly organized person and I was saying to Tessa earlier this week when she asked me to jump on the podcast I went back and I found all my old diaries and my old journal from when I was moving and making the decision oh my and gosh. I was reading back all my thoughts and it was just so funny I was like thinking you know I'm making this decision and I hope in you know three years time I can look back on this and know that this was the right thing to do and I was laughing at myself um 
but yeah, I found my old diary and it was like my first week and I'd landed and then I had all these different interviews lined up within the first week and I look back on those interviews and they didn't really get me anywhere. But yeah, I guess, I guess it depends kind of what industry you're in and, you know, if you're a lawyer, I think you probably could get things lined up before you go. Um, but I, as you said, I'm in events, so it's a little bit more kind of wishy-washy. In events, for example, like events is big on volunteering and kind of getting your name out there and getting work experience and that kind of thing. Because even when I started interviewing for roles, once I got there, a lot of people were just saying to me, and roles that I was like completely qualified for, they were like, well, you've got no British experience and no UK experience, even though I'd been running events like across Australia and like I was very like capable of my job. They like weren't giving me any roles. So that was super frustrating. Mm. So as I said earlier, you've kind of got to reach out to those people that you don't really know in the UK and kind of have conversations. But that's and, like, that's with life. You've just got to talk to people about that kind of stuff. So my brother-in-law had two mates that were over here um, and I went and had lunch with them one day and one of them just happened to know someone in events and that didn't get me a job, but he was basically like, these are the best 10 event companies. You should reach out to them. And obviously i done a bit of my own experience on the side um, research sorry but yeah it kind of just gave me that stepping stone to you know finding out a little bit more about the industry in the UK and so I just started reaching out to people and no one really had any jobs and then I was following them all on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and that kind of thing and then one day something popped up with this company and they were looking for like volunteers and so I emailed them and essentially, I was underqualified for the role, but I was like, I've got nothing else to do, so I may as well just. You're sorry, over- yes, overqualified, <laughs> very overqualified for volunteering. Um, but I was basically like, I will, I'll come and volunteer because I've, I've literally got nothing else to do. I'm literally sitting in my room applying for jobs, and yeah, I just met them, and they were great. And then turns out they needed some help on a big, like, international incentive that was coming up, and so. I started freelancing for them and then at the end of that, after about a month, they offered me a full-time job and that's kind of how it all happened from there. Um, so, yeah, I would just say depending on what industry you're in, you just need to reach out to as many people as possible um, and obviously speak with recruiters and obviously get your CV ready and, you know, just know your CV back to front. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I guess by doing the volunteering, you would then have the UK experience that they were all asking for. So Exactly. And then the company was actually like a great company. So people could see that on my resume and then I could use them as a reference as well. So mm. you've just kind of got to put yourself out there, but that's life. <laughs> Okay, so how did you sort out all the nitty-gritty details like accommodation, a SIM card, a UK bank account? So when I landed, I had a friend that met me at the airport, which was super lovely, and I stayed with him for the first week. And then after that, I stayed, and my one of my other friends was actually going back to Australia to get her sponsorship redone for two weeks. So she was like, you can stay in my room. So again, that was great. Um, and then from there, I kind of sublet. So I didn't know, because I didn't have a job yet, and London's great because it's all you know, it's broken up into, um, you know, north of the river and south of the river and what tube line you're on. I'd highly recommend not like kind of confirming somewhere to live without knowing where you're working, just because it's so much easier knowing what tube you need to be on to get to work or what bus. So yeah, I kind of sublet a place. There's an awesome site called Aussies in London, which if anyone's looking to move, I would definitely join that. I know you were part of that as well, Tessa. I still am. Um, <laughs> it's a Facebook still. page. Yeah. It's, I'm in Aussies in London and Kiwis in London, I think. <laughs> it's actually like really helpful resource. I feel like we'll link them in the show notes for everyone. 
yeah, it's really good. Everyone just chats about like rooms that are up for rent or, you know, if people are feeling homesick or, you know, sometimes people will be like, I've just moved and I don't have any friends. Does anyone have, want to have a catch up or, you know, we're doing, they do like social events and that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, I was looking on there and um, there was another Aussie from Sydney that was subletting her room for five weeks. And so I stayed there for five weeks. Um, and then from there, I was able to kind of find another more permanent place, which I locked in. But the bank account side of thing, that's a little bit harder. Um, but it's actually a lot easier now, which is really good. So to get a bank account in the UK, you need to have a permanent like address. But to get an address and slash a, like a rental contract, you need to have a bank account. Oh so it's gosh. kind of like a, it's like you can't have one or the other. So I didn't have a permanent address because I was subletting and then I couldn't open a bank account. And it was just very frustrating. But, um, and I don't know if Monzo is a thing in Australia, but. Monzo is massive in the UK. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Monzo is kind of like a, um, what's that? What's that um, like bank that the bank? Barefoot Investor recommends? Oh, um, um, ING. ING, yeah. It's kind of like ING. It's like an online account. Um, mm. So it doesn't have like in-person banks, but it's all online. Um, so anyone that's moving to the UK or any part of Europe, I'd recommend getting a uh, Monzo account. And It's basically, also really good any- for travel anywhere in the world. Like their rates are really competitive. Yeah, really good. I don't think that you pay anything to get money out of ATMs. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, wow. You can you can split out your bank account and, Britt, you'd love it. You can mm. split your bank account into, like, all these different pots um, and you can have, like, up to 50 pots and, you know, I'm crazy. So I split mine into, like, my phone bill and, like, you know, my Netflix and, like, all that kind of thing. So I've got all my money kind of split oh, out. You're not speaking my yeah. language. You know what my favourite part was <laughs> is that you could have a roundup account. Yeah, so, like, I, I had, like, travel funds or, like a, like, a fund fund, which was just, like, the roundups of every purchase I yeah. made and it built up really quickly and mm. then all of a sudden I was like, yes, I have this fund money. Yeah, exactly. It's play money. Um, so yeah, basically Monzo is a lifesaver and I mean, I still get all my salaries paid into Monzo and I love my Monzo. Um, but there's a few banks like that over here. So it's quite easy now to get a bank account and through that you can kind of get a house, which is good. And then SIM cards, they're really easy as well. You can literally, I think at Heathrow when you land, there's like a, there's a machine and you can walk out the front and get a SIM card. Mm. Um, so it's quite straightforward, but Again, I think with a SIM card, you need to have like a bank account and an address. So, but yeah, it, it is quite straightforward to get a SIM card. You just kind of pick which provider you want to be with. But yeah, it seems super daunting because you're like, I don't have a phone, but everywhere's got Wi-Fi here. I'm pretty certain in like all the tourist areas, there there is Wi-Fi, like community mm. Wi-Fi that you can connect to. And also phones, are so, like phone contracts are so much kind of cheaper over here than they are in Australia. I remember my Telstra bill was like, $140 a month and I pay 40 pounds a month which is obviously when you convert it's a bit different but anyway I know what you're saying about wi-fi I remember when I was in London <laughs> and I didn't get a sim or anything like for the holiday I was just traveling and I my friends and I were like shopping in the main kind of area and we just connect to all of the free wi <laughs> as we walked down yeah. the main street yeah, you, Oxford Circus, every single yeah. shop has its own yeah. Wi-Fi. You just, like, connect to them. <laughs> so different from Australia where we, like, struggle to get any Wi-Fi, yeah. even in our houses with, like, NBN. It all sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh <my> God. <laughs> okay, so with all that being said, I, we want to know what's been the biggest highlight and the biggest challenge of moving overseas. So I highlight would definitely be the people. And I, be, I mean, that was one of the reasons I moved over. Another one of the reasons is that, 
you know, when I did six months in Canada, like the best thing that came out of that was the people and the friends that I met that I'm still like really good friends with. Now I was like, the people I'm going to meet in the UK are going to obviously be lifelong friends. So definitely highlight is the people that I've met. Um, weirdly, it's like I hang out with a bunch of Aussies all the time and they all happen to be from Brisbane and I didn't know any of them before I moved. But we all range from kind of like, you know, 25 to like 35 and it's all people from Brisbane, which is hilarious. But, um, yeah, definitely the people, um, the people that you meet, which is really good. But I think the biggest thing, and one of the other main reasons I moved was because of my career. I mean, I wanted to get out of Brisbane to kind of experience a little bit more, um, and the opportunities and the companies that you can work with in the UK are just, you know, so much more than anything you'll ever get in Brisbane or in um, in Australia. Not that, you know, Australia is great. I love it. But, <laughs> for example, like, you know, you get promoted so much quicker over here and you work with companies that now are on my resume that if I was working in Brisbane, mm. you know, those jobs wouldn't have been my jobs. They would have been like my director's jobs because my director would have wanted to work with, you know, Disney or whatever, whereas over here that's like just an, a normal name. So, like, yeah, it's kind of like the experiences and the opportunities that you get over here. And plus, it's so much fun. <laughs> I mean, when you're not in lockdown, it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, the biggest challenge has definitely been COVID. Um, it's been really tough. We're coming up to a year now of in and out of lockdown, which is mental. Um, I think my roommate was like counting the days. She's like, guess how many days we had in lockdown one? Guess how many we had in lockdown two? Guess oh, how many my we had in lockdown gosh. three? That's not something you I know. need to think about. <laughs> no, and it's something crazy like once we get out because Boris has just announced that we've kind of got a roadmap out, you know, dependent on vaccines and that kind of thing. But when when you look at the day that we go out, it's something crazy like 265 days in the last 300 and whatnot. Oh my um, gosh. We've spent quite literally in lockdown in our house, mm. which is just nuts. So that's that's been really tough and, you know, not being able to just come home, um, you know, I my plan was always to pop home, you know, once a year, mm. um, but I won't be able to pop home this year. I didn't get to come home for my cousin's wedding last year, which ended up being postponed. Um, but, yeah, I think I'll be home maybe next year and that'll be three years since I've been home last, which is crazy. And it doesn't feel like that because FaceTime is amazing. But, yeah, lockdown's been um, – you know, you've got to keep entertained and that kind of thing, but it has been really hard to... Yeah, um, especially in events as that's well. That's what I was going to say. In your field, what's happening? Are you, like, is there still events going ahead? Have they just adapted? Um, so, yeah, last year we did. So the first lockdown, I spent a lot of the time, like, developing a like an online program um, for the members, so a lot of Zooming. Um, I had Zoom fatigue quite badly in the sense that I'd wake up at, like, 11 o'clock at night and I'd be like, oh, my God, I meant to have a Zoom call. <laughs> I didn't. But I'd, I'd have, like, these events, like, seven days a week for, like, five months. So, like, I just was, like, triggered by Zoom. Like, it was just – and it, it was on my back. So that was a bit – that freaked me out a bit. Um, and then we suggested then to we Zoom did, call you today. <laughs> you like PTSD. Yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, let's FaceTime instead. Um, <laughs> um, but then the second lockdown, which was in November, so we we came out of it last year, and they said it was going to be fine. Um, it wasn't, but Old I was jokes. able to travel a bit then. But yeah, when when we came out of lockdown from like july through until november it was great like it you know london it wasn't the same but um 
we could still hold little events and yeah I just joined the company before lockdown so I was kind of trying to prove myself and work really hard and we were just but the government were changing the rules every other day and Mm -hmm. being like now it's this distance and you can't sit here and this person can't be with you if they're not from your household and so every day we were designing developing events and then scrapping it and then starting again and that was tiring but hopefully at the end of um end of may i think yeah end of may we can go back to having some normality we can open up again and then end of june i think it is 22nd or something um i think we're planning for no restrictions at all whatsoever because every adult in the uk should be offered a vaccine by the end of june that's exciting yeah wild so i'm like surprised you didn't say the highlight you like mentioned that you did some travel when the lockdown was breached so i'm going completely off like covid topic (laughs) i'm surprised you didn't say your highlight is all the amazing travel you've been able to do like you've done so much travel in europe having never been you've now like ticked off so many countries i mean like don't get me wrong the travel is incredible and it's so much fun and like having girls weekends away is so much fun and yeah we've done uh, we (laughs) me (laughs) I've done a lot of travel and yeah it's been amazing and like last year before lockdown we went skiing in Switzerland and then when we came out of lockdown we went to Turkey on this amazing like 18 person yacht for a week and then went to Italy with my girlfriends like you just have to travel as much as you can but I I never moved over to travel I I moved over to my career and so Mm -hmm. that's always kind of been my focus travel's always kind of been on the side but also because I'm like I've got a five-year visa and I've I'm not restricted in that sense it's not like a huge thing for me because I know that I've potentially got the rest of my life to travel Europe like I don't Mm. I don't feel like you know I'm like I need to travel here I need to go there and it's really stressful in that sense and but yeah definitely I've had some great holidays which I'm proud of. Okay so what are some top tips you have for people who are thinking of making the move? Um, I would first just really assess how badly like you want it um I know a lot of people that have moved over in the last 12 months and and a bit more that have come and gone quite quickly obviously we're in COVID and that's fine but I think you know travel shouldn't just be it I think you should definitely look for all the different opportunities that the UK has to offer like the heritage and the buildings and there's so many incredible cultural things that you can do in the UK that's not just travel to Europe and do all these different things um, so I would definitely assess how much you want it. Um, also, you need to make sure that you can save enough. Um, luckily for me, when I was stressing out a little bit about not having enough savings, my sister did kind of offer to lend me money, um, which I was very lucky and um, grateful for. But I, I didn't need it in the end. Um, but, you know, I would definitely make sure that you feel supported by yourself to have enough money to be able to move. Um, And then I would definitely also try and have someone that you know in the UK to lean on, Um, whether or not it's a friend from school or, you know, someone's cousin or, you know, just just speak or speak with people that you know that have moved and see if they've got someone they they can connect you with. Like you really need to lean on your connections um, because you just have no idea if they're going to be able to help you or support you when you move over. 
Lucy was like my biggest support over there. She met me at the airport and like helped yeah. me with everything. Literally couldn't have done it without her. We had so much fun though. We we did. I was except I was the other so day. broke. <laughs> you were pretty broke. <laughs> yeah, I think there's many things you did great, Tess. But you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. To be fair, <laughs> to be fair, it hadn't been in my savings plan to uproot my life to London. It was literally yeah, happened in like a month, and I was like. I don't have enough yeah. money for this, so what do I do? And everyone's like, just I go. <laughs> I didn't have enough money to really enjoy it. Like I was stressed about money and my beautiful parents had to help me out and I had to pay them a lot of money back when I got home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so m- money is a big thing. Also, now that I'm thinking about it, when you do take a job, try and take a job in the city because the whole lifestyle of you know, going to Soho for drinks afterwards or, you know, the tube can be a bit annoying, but it's actually really great and being able to get into work really quickly and really easily working in, like, I call it the city. It's not really called that, but I would definitely, when you do are looking for a job, try and try and work in the city if you can because, yeah, the whole after-work lifestyle, going to the gym in the morning, there are so many cool gyms over here that play, like, get, get DJs in and you go in the morning and they've got saunas and DJs and like it's just like a fun experience. And wow. Am I classified as an adult or a grandma if the thought of doing all these activities after work is like exhausting? exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Lucy was like so full of energy and this was like my first full-time job ever and I got there and I was like I'm so tired and she's like come on let's do this let's do that and I'm like I need sleep. <laughs> You've really got to like take every moment as it comes because you might have like one sunny day a month that's the other thing is Mm. that you know you could be really hungover on the weekend and spend the whole day in bed watching Netflix but actually it could be a one sunny day for the month and you just need to get outside and enjoy it because you could potentially have you know however many other days of the month in gray skies and feeling a bit sorry for yourself um so you've just really got to take every chance that you get you've got to say yes to everything um you know within means you can't say yes to 100 pound dinners every week but um well some people can depending on what job you've got but um yeah just say yes to everything and try and take all the experiences in while you've got them yeah I like that like making the most of every moment okay so we're going to move on to settling in and then deciding to stay I feel like when you've lived somewhere your whole life it's easy to get stuck in a routine what was it like starting from scratch that kind of thing really excites me and I think that kind of comes back to what I do as a job like I start from scratch with my events all the time so it's kind of part of who I am really but yeah it's really easy to get stuck in a routine and I mean I'm in a routine now I don't leave the house and it's it's very much a routine (laughs) it's a forced routine Um, though it is a forced routine although I can leave to get a coffee and go for a walk so that's nice but yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess it depends who you are. Like I've still got a lot of people that live in Brisbane that would never consider moving overseas and that are really happy, you know, living in Brisbane or moving to Sydney as their big step, which is totally fine as well. Um, but for me, it's just it was always just a bit more exciting to go overseas and to do something else and to do something other people weren't doing. Um, And I feel like you'd already done that before, like when you did your ski working holiday in Canada, like you started from scratch there. So you kind of knew what you were getting yourself into and what it was going to be like. Yeah. And you've kind of, and I mean, like with Canada, so, I mean, I went to Canada at 19, which I think back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so young. I can't believe I just YOLO'd it and went overseas. (laughs) Um, But 
I, I grew up skiing there. So from when I was like four, so I knew the town really well. And I, I knew like basically everything about it. So I felt really comfortable moving over there on my own. I did actually go with a company on that occasion. Um, so I did have that support. They did get my bank account for me. They did do all that kind of stuff. So I did feel a lot more kind of secure and I could have just lived my life and it was like an adult was kind of managing me in that sense. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I think I kind of, I weighed up all my options and as I said, I reached out to as many people as I could and I I just knew that it was the right thing to do and I felt really comfortable in the decision because I kind of had different plans. I was like, if I don't get a job within this period, I'll move in here and if I, you know, and I kind of had all those backup plans in place and in my head so that if something was to go wrong and if something did really, really go wrong, I could fly home if I really needed to. So how do you manage your long-distance relationships with friends and family still in Brisbane? Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) The time zone is kind of really hard. And it's funny because when you guys, well, not you guys, because you don't, Brisbane doesn't have daylight savings, but um, in like, I've got friends in Sydney and Melbourne and when there are certain times of the year, I get more of the day to talk to them. But, you know, when I'm working five days, six days a week, the only time I can really talk to people is on like a Saturday morning. Um, which is like a Saturday night in Brisbane. So I'll either catch someone who's out at drinks and, you know, you won't get to have that really great conversation with them because they'll be pretty tipsy or they've been out at lunch all day, um, which is equally as fun, but you don't get that kind of connection in that sense. Um, or it's a Sunday morning where I'm super hungover and it's their Sunday night and they've just got through their hangover. God, this makes me sound like an alcoholic. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's finding the time zone is really is really tough. But you just have to keep in touch with everyone. I mean, FaceTime's great. I don't know how anyone did this back in the day and didn't have FaceTime. I mean, I've got nieces and nephews and we chat all the time. Um, but yeah, it, it's really hard. And I mean, I'm coming up to three years now in London and there's definitely friends that I speak to a lot more than some and it makes me really sad and it makes me kind of upset thinking about when I do come home to visit will those friendships still be as strong and you know will they still take me in and will they want to see me even though we only speak every couple of months and I and I know that they would but um you know I always feel so busy and I feel like you know I try and you just have to make the effort to message people whether or not it's literally in the middle of your day and, you know, Tessa, if you pop into my thoughts, I might text you and be like thinking about you or I'll just message you something funny. Like you just need to at every chance kind of, you know, take the opportunity to message someone. And if you can pre-plan to having a FaceTime call with someone, do that as well. And to be completely honest with you, it can really hurt when people don't put in an effort. And I need mm-hmm. to be honest in saying that a lot, no one puts in an effort. No one does. Yeah, and they just sure. think so that hard. because I'm... Because from my Instagram, it's like, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I look really busy, but, you know, Instagram's so fake. Like, I'm quite literally sitting in my room five days a week. Yeah, it does really hurt when people don't make an effort and don't try, but it's because they don't know what time it is and they don't know what they're doing. But actually, if you just send a message, that can mean the world, make someone's day and vice versa. So, uh, speaking to, like, friends as well, like, is it hard seeing your friends doing things and feeling like you're missing out? Like, especially when you're just sitting in your room and you feel like people haven't made like such an effort. Like, do you get like a bit of FOMO about what people are doing in Brisbane? I mean, kind of, but I think it comes back to, you know, who you are as a person. I know that I want to be here and I know that this is my life now. So 
I, yeah, like it sucks when it's freezing and it's like negative three and, you know, everyone's at the beach and I'm like, oh, that looks lovely, but mm-hmm. I love the cold. And you've kind of just got to, you've got to, and a big thing I'm learning at the moment, doing a lot of self-development with my time off, um, is that you've just got to readdress your reference points and you can't, obviously if I was home, it'd be great to be with everyone at the beach, but you just need to be grateful for like, the experience that you have right now yeah I mean it you just yeah you just have to separate yourself and I mean I'm just happy for everyone at home that they're happy and safe and healthy so that's all that really matters so on the topic of COVID, um, when COVID hit last year, a lot of Australians living overseas decided to head home. Did you consider moving home or like what made you decide to stay? And was it like difficult or scary making that decision to stay? Um, yeah, I mean, oh God, not, no one in the world had been through this before. So it was kind of like progressing week by week and it was just getting worse. I, I remember there being a period where, I was watching one of those like end of, you know, what are they on like Netflix? And it's like, it's basically COVID like, and everyone's dying and then they turn into mutants. And I'm like lying in bed being like, is this going to happen? Sci-fi. But like we just. Apocalyptic. Yes. uh, Yeah. That kind of stuff. But like, we just didn't know how bad it was going to get. So it kept getting worse and kept getting worse. And then it was like, wow, is it, could it get worse than this? Could it get worse than this? Um, So, I mean, a few things over here, which have been super interesting is that the government's brought in this furlough scheme, which is essentially if you've been employed by a company by a certain, within a certain period of time, they'll pay your salary up to 80%, but then capped at a certain amount. So, you know, at a certain salary, like it's like £30,000, for example, um, is the maximum amount they'll pay. So they'll pay you 80% of your salary if you had a salary of £30,000. Um, but anything below that, it's just 80% of your salary. Um, so the government kind of brought that out to help people to still be getting paid whilst everything was shut. Um, so that was really great for everyone because it meant that people could still pay their bills. Um, and you, you know, you didn't have to apply for any paperwork. The companies could apply for it. Um, and then would just pay your salary out. Um, but annoyingly for me, um, I just started work with this company that I was working for, that I am working for, still working for. So I didn't qualify for it um which was really scary and at the time it was like we're going to be shut for three months and I mean I've got another friend um Kate who works with me and she took that opportunity to being paid I think this base salary to go back to Australia for three months so she was like getting paid and then went back to Australia and then had this money coming in and basically was on holiday for three months and then flew back when she was ready which I was so jealous of um but yeah, I didn't have the option of doing that. So essentially it was like they were going to let me go and then I couldn't go back to my old company and then no one was hiring. And then the other thing to note on Ancestry or any other visas in the UK is you can't actually apply for any government support. Um, you just coming over, you have to be able to support yourself. So I did freak out um, and I was like, oh gosh, I don't have enough savings. Um, I, I really didn't know what to do, so I kind of weighed up my options. Um, and my company was kind of saying to me, why don't you go home for a bit? But I was like, then I'd have to fill my room. And then what if, you know, that person didn't pay the rent and then I'd have to pay the rent, but I wasn't getting any money. And, yeah, a lot of stuff went through my head, so that was super scary. Um, and I thought about coming home quite a lot. I remember having quite a few conversations with my family. Um, and But uh, I was just kind of like... I've made it this far, 
So I decided to stay um, and I spoke to my work and I was like, at that time we weren't doing anything online. It was just like, because I work for a private members club. So, which isn't like a doof doof club. <laughs> it's basically like a beautiful building in a beautiful space where people pay these memberships to come in and it's like quite exclusive. Um, and they generally have a club with them, but it's like beautiful, like, you know, restaurants and stuff within this building and members come there. So we had to shut down because we were hospitality. And so I kind of went to them and said, can we do a membership, like an online membership, like a series of events? And then that's how that started. So then they kept me on and I ran this online membership thing for five months, um, which ended up working really well. And I worked part time during all of it. Yeah, I've had a lot of friends that went back um, and a lot of people that came, moved over just before COVID happened and moved back. Even like last week, there's two other people that moved home and it's kind of like, you're literally so close to the end. You've just gone through three months of horrible UK winter. It's not horrible, by the way. It's amazing. I love it. But you've just you've just gone through this, like, cold winter. You know, you're so close. Like, it's sunny today. It's getting warmer. It's, it's going to be okay. But, yeah, a lot of people went home, and that's totally fine, and it was their decision. But, yeah, I decided to stay because I knew that I could keep fighting. Um, and now I'm in a better position for it because if I did go home, I would have lost my job and I wouldn't be back here. And I don't think I would have been able to get a job in Brisbane either. Yeah, I feel like as well, it just speaks to the fact that moving to London for you wasn't just like a two year like short trip and then come back to Australia and continue your life. Like you went into moving to London as a, this could be the rest of my life kind of thing. Like Mm. you don't necessarily plan to come home. So I think that like that speaks to that as well, that why would you come home when really your life is in London now? Yeah, exactly. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So final question. What is one piece of advice you'd give someone who is thinking about moving overseas? I guess my one piece of advice main one would be ask for what you want um you just genuinely don't get anywhere in life without asking for it so quite literally ask for what you want um whether or not you it's a salary being offered see if they can bump it up um just ask for it you know you have absolutely no idea where it's going to go and if you don't ask anyone or reach out to anyone yeah you're not going to be in a position where you might be in the future (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, you put that into practice in COVID when you didn't know whether they would keep you on and you were like, hey, here's this job that I can do for you. (laughs) Can you let me do it? And they let you run the online membership. Yeah, you've just got to back yourself. (laughs) And be proactive. Well, thank you so much for getting up in your early hours of Wednesday morning to come and talk to us. Oh, what's that? I've got a recommendation. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I love this. Yes, give it to us. (laughs) Um, So it's a book I'm reading at the moment, which I think is great for the podcast. Um, It's called The Defining Decade for 20s, and it's basically a book all about your 20s. Um, It's written by, I think it's a psychologist or a psychiatrist in the U.S., um, and it goes through everything from work to love life to friendships to basically everything within your life and the decisions that you need to make. Um, and she basically gives a, like a very good understanding of, um, you know, the, the decisions you should be making, i.e. like the first chapter talks about someone that, you know, is like, oh, I'm just going to go traveling and find myself and then I'll know what to do. But she gives you tips of actually maybe don't do that. Yes, you can do that. That's great. But that's, you're not actually going to find who you are by traveling. Yeah, you know, you're not going to stumble that. across your career. <laughs> so, 
this book, yeah, it's all kind of tips on how to get ahead in your 20s, setting yourself up for your 30s, um, and I'd highly recommend it. So it's The Defining Decade by Meg J. We will link that in our show notes. Thank you so much for sharing a recommendation. Yeah, I love that. Maybe we should have a thing. I feel like this is just like <laughs> standard Lucy Kelly, like going above and beyond what we even ask her to do. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, again, thanks so much for coming on. I feel like I definitely want to read that book. That sounds so interesting. And um, yeah, for answering all of our questions, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I can't wait to see like what the rest of London life brings to you. Like I always say, like I feel like London suits you so well and you're always like you just seem so happy there. So yeah. No, oh, thanks. Well, thanks for having me. It was great to chat. And hopefully I can help some people to either make the choice or think about how to make the choice to move. And finally, let's talk Adulting 101, our weekly resource of recommendation that we found helpful in navigating our 20s. Tessa, what do you have this week? So the content division where I work has been like secretly working on this little project for a while now and it has recently launched. It's called, drumroll please, the sex blog. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm I, so intrigued. <laughs> yeah. So I accidentally became a sex writer. <laughs> Surprise. Sorry, mom and dad. They know about it. Don't worry. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm like the most vanilla, innocent person, like in my friendship group, I always get uncomfortable talking about <laughs> sex. Like I blush, I giggle. I'm just so immature. And so, yes, and my friends are all like my family too, laughing at the fact that this is my <laughs> job <laughs> and this is what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I'm running that. Well, not running that. I'm contributing to that. I am writing under a fake name. So if you do look up the page, which of course we'll link it in show notes, you'll have to try and guess (laughs) which writer I am. I'm not giving any hints. I just kind of like made up this random name. Don't ask me how I got to it because that will give way too much. And so I'm not (laughs) going to tell you. Um, But yeah, so like it essentially like the tagline is like, we really like talking about sex and like we think that sex can be talked about more, etc. So it's like a really good resource for people in their twenties who are yeah, like wanna learn more about sex and like want fun content. Like it's really fun content. So some of the articles um, which are being added to all the time are like what does it mean if you're having sex dreams, like interviews with like a dream doctor, um, if you're watching porn is it ethical like how sex scenes in young adult literature help lgbtq plus you see themselves on the page like how scary is it to get an sti how to create body confidence in the bedroom with the australian sexologist wow um the 27 best spotify playlist to get you in the mood oh interesting Um, yeah like the best sex love and relationship podcasts and then there's just like yeah, it's like lots of interviews with professionals. There's like lots of contributors. So it's lots of diversity and things like that. Um, there's like reviews on all the dildos you can buy in wow. Australia, things like that. It's really content heavy. Yeah, it yeah. sounds really, like, really broad. It Touches is. on everything. Yeah. Touches. <laughs> um, well, you should also follow it on Instagram, which – I managed just like a little shout out to yours truly, but it's at the sex blog underscore. And if I do say so myself, my captions are quite funny. I have like <laughs> funny or punny, both. <laughs> I, I'm like quite proud of the tone of voice I've like made for it. 
like I don't know what's just an example. a humble brag <laughs> just a humble brag like when we did our launch I was like the sex blog just dropped it like it's hot into an incognito browser near you or something Ooh. like that I don't know <laughs> it's, everyone's gonna go look at it and be like oh my god this is not funny at all Tessa that you're so embarrassing but like I'm like I don't know how to talk about sex so I'm just doing the best I can okay well no you explained it really well and I think that it sounds like a great resource like covering all of those different topics like all of them sound very interesting to me yeah and I feel like some of the stuff that's on there like is things that you might be too embarrassed to like talk to your friends Mm. about or ask your friends about or like so you can just look it up and read about it for yourself instead of like feeling embarrassed and you shouldn't feel embarrassed about anything to do with sex No, definitely shouldn't be a taboo topic exactly and it just like talks about it in a fun and relatable way and also like lots of great opinions and real lived experience as well as from experts exactly yeah yeah i am not an expert (laughs) but i interview experts you would be learning so much i'm learning so much one that i really want to write so i feel like people if you know any astrologers i really want to write a piece on like what your star sign says about your sex life i've contacted probably like 10 astrologers at this point and no one wants to talk to me so if you know anyone hit me Mm. up can you confirm or deny whether you are still vanilla confirm still (laughs) vanilla i'm still innocent little tessa (laughs) um but yeah that's me what do you have okay so by now i'm sure you all know how bad i am at drinking water oh my gosh can i just like butt in here for a sec i was told this week by one of my many doctors that i'm drinking too much water and so yes so i'm actually too low in salt like in sodium because I'm flushing all the salt out of my body with water and I don't put a lot of salt on my food and I sweat a lot with exercise. So I'm actually like drowning my body in too much water, which I didn't know was a thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're like, you have to try and like How much is too much? How much water Um, are you drinking? I probably drink between three to four liters a day and during the night, but give or take. So during my... How many times hours. a day do you pee? That's oh my, my gosh, question. so much. Well, yeah. this is what alerted to them, like alerted okay. them to the fact, um, because there's a link between endo and an overactive bladder. So oh. anyway, um, but yeah, I, I think it's literally just because I drink so much water. But also, if you pee a lot and drink a lot of water, it could be a sign of diabetes. Being tested for that too, I don't have it. I've always loved water always so yeah yeah. I wish you brushed some of that onto me well you can I'll stop drinking so much water and you can take that well yeah I've got myself sorted so this week I'm recommending this app called drink water tracker reminder that's a mouthful Mm. well the name is pretty self-explanatory it basically sends you a notification every time you should drink you set up the reminder intervals based on how much you want to drink a day your standard sip or guzzle (laughs) amount um <laughs> me being sip, <laughs> me being guzzle, guzzle. <laughs> and then the volume of your water bottle. Um, I like it because it's pretty non-invasive too. Like it integrates with your Apple, well, your watch. I've got an Apple Watch, um, so I think if you have a smartwatch, it's the same. And I find that like watch notifications are much less disrupting than the standard phone notification. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, it's just like a little gentle nudge to drink water throughout the day. Um, and Tessa, you will be happy to know it's been working. So proud of you. I know. How good. I've actually managed to drink two liters of water every day since using it. Oh my gosh, look so at you go. It's a huge thing. See, but you also exercise a lot. So you should be drinking more than two liters for sure, right? 
I think you're supposed yeah, to yeah. yeah. I know you should be, but, but you're not. <laughs> well, anyway, at least you're at two liters. That's good. <laughs> I know most people aren't as slack as me and can remember to drink water on their own. But if you are struggling like me, I definitely recommend giving this app a try. Thank you for listening to another In Bloom episode of Blooming this week with Lucy Kelly. If you're enjoying our little podcast baby and specifically our In Bloom chats, please let us know by hitting the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts or following us on Spotify. And if you'd like to help us out to keep building our Blooming community, please leave us a rating or review. I think it helps with that algorithm so hard. (laughs) And yeah, we're just also so grateful for the feedback and exposure. And also please come find us on Instagram at blooming.podcast and tag us in your stories to show us how you're listening to Blooming or using one of our Adulting 101 resources. Or Lucy's Adulting 101 resource yes. this week. Have you, if you've read that book, let us know. Yeah. Tell us your thoughts. And remember to DM us. We want to hear your thoughts on this episode and what topics you'd like us to talk about in the future. If you know anyone with an amazing story from their 20s or someone in their 20s doing amazing things, please send them our way. Yeah, and then we can interview them too. Chat next week, buds. Bye. Go back up to the top. From the top, make it drop. No, stop. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) From the top. Sorry. (laughs) I just wanted to be annoying. Continue.